Thank you, Corral. Hasn't the music just been wonderful today? And uh, what a wonderful, what a wonderful message. So simple, so true. Yet how profound. You ever stop to think that God loves you? He knows you. There's almost 8 billion people on planet Earth and God knows everything about you and he loves you. And he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for your sin. He rose again. He's the living Savior, eternal God, Jesus Christ, loves you. Well, take your Bibles and join me in Acts chapter 14 as we continue in our series. We saw last week that uh, they were in uh, Iconium and that Paul was stoned and left for dead. But God raised him up, which was an incredible miracle. And he went right back into Lystra, where he had been stoned. And then he got up, went back in the city, and the next day departs for Derby. And that's where we pick up our, con- our text today. So look at the last part of verse, uh, if you would with me, just the last part of verse 20. And our main text is going to be verses 21 to 28. The Bible says, And the next day he, with Barnabas, departed with Barnabas to Derby. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. So uh, if you're following and want to follow in your, by taking notes, uh, there is an, in your bulletin, if you open it up, you will see there's the actual, the basic uh, outline this morning. So that will help you to follow. Now, don't read it. Say, okay, I get the gist of the message and now I can take a nap. All right. Uh, it is there to help you to follow along. And the entire back part of your bulletin um, is available if you would like to write down notes. And for me personally, when I am listening to somebody else preach the word of God, not only am I writing down the outline, but I'm thinking of, of verses or personal applications as the Spirit of God is teaching me through somebody else's preaching. And those are the things that I am writing down, taking note of that truth that the Spirit of God is speaking to me about in my own life and the applications that God would make. And sometimes I'll write down another passage of Scripture that I think about or something from the passage that is being preached that I would like to study out a little bit further in depth for my own personal edification. So I would encourage you as you're taking notes uh, to kind of follow that, that theme. Um, and, and it really helps you to go back later and say, this is how God was working through this passage of Scripture in my heart. And it allows you then to meditate on those truths and be reminded of the work God's doing in your heart so that you can continue to grow in Christ's likeness. Well, the first point, as you would see in your bulletin, is uh, we should continue to obey the Great Commission as we follow the Spirit's leading. Now, remember, Paul and Barnabas had been opposed. They'd been persecuted. uh, They'd been threatened with death. Even Paul had been stoned and dragged outside the city and left for dead. And yet, when the mission at Lystra was accomplished, and remember that the whole city had been evangelized, there were many disciples uh, so there was a church established and God was indicating to them it was time to move on. They went on to Derby, And so folks, no matter what the opposition, no matter what struggles we face, we ought to always continue to follow the Spirit's leading and fulfill the Great Commission. The Bible says, if you look with me in verse 21, uh, when they had taught many, the uh, word there for taught is discipled. The primary definition of disciple is a learner. What did the disciples of Jesus do? 
They listened to him. They learned of him. They watched and followed his example. And many times Christ had to reiterate to them truths that he had already taught them. Uh, it, it, they had not yet quite attained to some things in which God was working in their hearts. And so they were learners. They were listeners. And so we who are disciples of Jesus Christ ought never kind of get the know-it-all mentality where we think that we have a pretty good grasp on the scriptures and that we have arrived. But although we may have very sound doctrine and be theologically thoroughly accurate in our understanding of doctrines in the scriptures, folks, none of us have arrived at the perfection of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. There are still personal lessons that God has to teach us. And when you remember that God is the author of this eternal book, the scriptures, you understand that there is an infinite depth of knowledge in the scriptures to which we have not yet attained. But I want, want you to, to think on this for a minute with me. Paul and Barnabas had been chased, persecuted, opposed. I mean, Paul was stoned, literally almost stoned to death. And yet, when the Great Commission was fulfilled in one city, he, he moved on. He kept obeying the Great Commission. What if Paul and Barnabas had decided not to go on to Derby, but to return to Antioch in Syria? It, it would have been a very easy thing, actually, for them to do geographically. They were only about 160 miles from going back to Antioch in Syria. And actually, they were kind of north and east and kind of headed back that way. It would have been very simple, pretty much a straight shot, um, an often traveled route that they could have taken. Or they could have gone back through to Cyprus and, and gone back to where Barnabas was, was from, the island of Cyprus. They didn't do that either. They continued on preaching the word of God. They went on to Derby, And I've often wondered what what if Paul and Silas had not decided to go on to Derby, but to return to Antioch and Syria instead? You know, couldn't they have said, man, you know, Bar Paul could have said, man, you know what? I I've just been stoned to death. I mean, emotionally, psychologically, physically, maybe even spiritually. I just need to go home and rest and, and recover. I don't think I can take any more right now. If I, if I am going to live to see another day of spiritual battle, I just need to go home and recover. He could have said that. But you know, he went on, Derby was about 60 miles from Lystra, and they went on that 60 miles to Derby because they were led there of the Holy Spirit. What if they had decided not to? Well, they would have forfeited the fellowship with Christ and the leading of the Holy Spirit because God was obviously leading them that direction. And there is a fellowship with Christ and there is a filling of the Spirit that comes when we are walking in obedience. There is a joy that comes in, in being able to witness the truth of the gospel. There is a, a joy that we get to, to experience when souls get saved. Folks, there are a lot of things that, that, that I get excited about in life. But nothing of them even come close to comparing to the joy in my heart and soul when I get to witness a spiritual birth. When I get to see somebody saved, there is no greater joy than to see someone trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. And I trust that that is true for you. They would have missed out on that. They would have missed out on the growth of the believers and the establishment of a church at Derby. But I got to wonder, what do we miss out on when we are not obedient? Well, they... We should not only continue to obey the Great Commission as we are following the Spirit's leading, but second of all, we should not only evangelize the lost, but we should also disciple the believers. Look back in verse 21. 
The Bible says, and when they had preached the gospel in that city and had taught many, again, I already told you that word taught is to disciple. So they were teaching believers. They didn't just give them the gospel and leave these baby Christians to fend for themselves. They were feeding them the word of God. They were training them. They were helping them to come to maturity. They were laying a, a, found, a doctrinal, a theological foundation for them uh, on which to stand and, uh, and so they are doing that. And then look at verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. I believe that all disciples ought to be discipling another believer. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells us very clearly in giving this great commission that the great commission does not stop with just evangelizing the lost. That is, in seeing people saved. What did Jesus say? He said, Jesus said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Now, folks, you don't baptize somebody until, first of all, they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Baptism is not a part of salvation. Some people will take scriptures and they will not study them out. Or they will twist scriptures or pull them out of context to say that salvation, that baptism must be a part of salvation. How then would the apostle of Christ, Paul, sent to the Gentiles say, look, I came not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. If the gospel were, were not sufficient for salvation, Paul would have said, I come to preach the gospel and baptize. Matter of fact, he said, I didn't baptize any of you. Well, except for this family and this family. Oh, yes. And there was this family that I baptized. Besides that, I don't remember of any other that I baptized. Now, folks, baptism is a step of obedience. If you're going to be a disciple of Christ, if you're going to follow him in obedience, being baptized is a command. It is an identify, a, a public identification with Christ. It is a public testimony of your salvation. It is the first step on the path of walking with Christ as a disciple. But it is not a necessary element or a part of salvation. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It is all of grace by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing. But we are to teach all nations the gospel, those who believe we baptize in obedience to the Lord's command. And then Jesus goes on in the Great Commission and says, teaching them to observe Whatsoever, I have, whatsoever things I have commanded you. Well, what's that? That's the scriptures. That's the word of God. Jesus, John 1, 14, is the word made flesh. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16, is given by inspiration of God. And so we are to teach the gospel. We are to teach folks the word of God, not only to, to lay a theological foundation so they can be this solid in their faith and their understanding of the scriptures but also, you know what? The Holy Spirit gives wisdom for us to then apply the scriptures to walk worthy of our calling. We've been called to salvation. We have been made new creations in Christ Jesus. We are to walk now in newness of life. And so the word of God shows us how to do that. And so we are to teach the word. We are to disciple other believers. You know, there's the old proverb, teach, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. Teach a man to fish, you feed him for what? A lifetime. 
And while at first when we were discipling a new believer, we we're going through a Bible study and we are and we are explaining things and we're answering questions, and there's a sense in which we're kind of spoon feeding truth to that baby disciple because they've not yet learned to feed themselves. We begin to go through the processes. We help them to get a foundational understanding of the scriptures and how to navigate the scriptures and how to study the scriptures and how to have that personal communion with God through prayer and through meditation on the Word of God. And as they begin to mature to that point, then we teach them how to feed themselves and and how to begin to study the scriptures. And we encourage them in the importance of gathering God's people to worship corporately and to, uh, to take advantage of the gift that God has given to the local church, the pastor teacher, so that the word of God can also be taught and where we can receive uh, truth from the word of God. But folks, the only time that you're spiritually fed ought not to be on a Sunday morning, Sunday night and Wednesday night, or at a Bible study in somebody's house. Although all of those things are good and profitable. But folks, you as a believer need to be in the word of God every day. And you need to know how to have your own close, intimate fellowship with Christ through the scriptures and through prayer. And if you need help with that, please come and see me. If you say, I have never had anybody take the time to personally disciple me then come and see me. If you say, hey, you know what? I've trusted the Lord. I've been walking with him. I've grown in Christ. But you know what? I've never discipled anybody. Come and see me. I will help equip you so that you can disciple another believer. And by the way, nothing will propel you to greater spiritual growth than discipling somebody else. There will always be those questions that you'll say, ah, great question. Uh, let me get back to that. I need to search the scripture and ask a few questions myself. Uh, and through that study, many times the Spirit of God will challenge you in your own life. And you know that this disciple is also looking to your example. Even as Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I am of Christ. Your disciple is observing you, saying, This is a mature Christian. This is how a mature Christian is supposed to grow and walk and serve Christ and be like Christ. Folks, that, that's a great responsibility to, to show that example. And again, like Paul, we have to remind him, Now listen, you don't just follow me and don't follow me blindly, but as you see Christ exemplified in me, you follow that. And you can take my life not as a pattern of which to be. That's the ultimate goal is not to be like me, it's to be like Christ. But as you see me growing, as you see me being changed into the image of Christ, may that be an encouragement to you and even a practical example of how somebody grows in their relationship with Jesus Christ. Every disciple ought to be discipling another believer. It is part of the great commission that's given to all believers. We are to strengthen the spiritual lives of other believers. One commentator on this passage wrote this uh, good point. He said, the truth was, these were young converts. They were surrounded by enemies, exposed to temptations and dangers. They had as yet but a slight acquaintance with the truths of the gospel, and that it was therefore important that they should be further instructed in the truth and established in the faith of the gospel. This is what Paul and Barnabas returned to accomplish because they went back, and we're going to see this, they went back to confirm the other churches that were already established that they had visited. But even here in Derby, knowing as the Spirit of God began to give them indication, all right, and this missionary journey, on this trip, this is the last uh, city where we are going to be preaching to establish a church. And then we're going to go back through. Now, where God gives us opportunities to preach the gospel, we'll preach the gospel. But we understand we need to also go back and confirm the churches. Why? Because the Great Commission doesn't stop with evangelizing the gospel. It continues through discipling believers. And folks, that is a lifelong ministry every Christian should be consistently practicing in their life. 
Many Christians need strengthening in their souls. It is a, no small thing to walk with the Lord year after year, facing trial after trial. It takes, as one writer said, it takes a strong soul and an encouraged faith. We are to bring along other believers to walk in the faith. Look back again, if you would, in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples. That is, the word confirming there means strengthening the souls of the disciples. How are they strengthened? How are they encouraged? It is through the confirmation of the teaching of the word of God. It is as the spirit of God works that truth in the heart of that believer, that they are spiritually strengthened and fed. But then, if you look at verse 22, and exhorting them, and that word to exhort is the Greek word parakaleto, literally to invite or to walk along beside. And the idea is that we invite and, if you would, bring along other believers to walk in the faith, to walk after Christ. We should expect also, if you look in the last part of verse 22, we should expect tribulation and persecution that's part of the message that the Spirit of God had Luke record. Of all of the discipleship teaching, I find it interesting that Luke doesn't go into all of the different doctrines that Paul and Barnabas were sharing with this church at Derby and these new believers. But this warning, the warning in verse 22 is that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. He is not saying that suffering tribulation is a requirement for salvation. Please do not misunderstand that. He is saying, expect it on the way to the kingdom, on the way towards heaven. Remember that we are part of the kingdom of God if we have trusted Christ as our Savior. But that eternal established reign of Christ in the eternal kingdom of God has not yet taken place. And as we walk through this life, we must expect tribulation in this temporal life, persecution and opposition. That's why Peter writes by inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial that is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers in Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. You know, there is a health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that is popular in our culture today that makes some Christians think that any tribulation or persecution is counterproductive to the Christian life. But study through the scriptures and you will see that God brings about often maturity, spiritual maturity, and spiritual ministry opportunities through our suffering. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, his own testimony was, hey, lest I should be exalted above measure, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, I besought the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You know what Paul's response to that was? Most gladly, therefore, while I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul realized that in his own life, God was going to use persecution and trial and difficulties to refine him and to draw him into more intimate fellowship with Christ. And also through that suffering and through his testimony, other believers would be challenged to also walk with Christ, to receive encouragement and hope that no matter what tribulation you may suffer, what persecution uh, with which you may be attacked, 
that God is faithful and will never forsake you, will give you strength, will give you joy, and will use you for his eternal glory. As unbelievers see the supernatural grace of God in your life, and they are turned to Christ. Do you know that the martyrs of the early church rejoice? They rejoiced when they realized that they were going to suffer martyrdom because they realized that through their death, that the gospel would be even more greatly spread than with the rest of their lives proclaiming the gospel. There were thousands that would be in the Colosseum at Rome that would watch as Christians were being torn apart by wild beasts. As they were being burned at the stake and other torturous ways through which they were executed. Matter of fact, one saint in England in the 1500s, as he was being burned at the stake as a heretic, a godly man, said, I pray that the light from this pyre of my martyrdom will light such a spiritual light that all of England shall turn to Christ. Folks, we're going to suffer persecution. There's going to be tribulation. But folks, don't forget that God is in control and suffering. And nothing comes outside of the realm of God's divine wisdom and knowledge and permission. And that all of it is designed to refine and transform us to be more like Christ, to be finer instruments, to be used by him, and often provides platforms of a gospel witness through our lives. And that's why Paul could say, hey, listen, whether I live or die, it's gain. If I live, I'm going to preach the gospel. If I die through my death, I pray that the gospel will be proclaimed. And it was. And then look at verse 23. The Bible says, And when they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord unto whom, on whom they had believed. So the third point is that we should have local churches with pastors appointed by the Spirit and voted upon by members. Uh, Paul, and so Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, led the church to pursue the leadership of the Spirit by fasting and prayer. You see in verse 23, when they ordained elders in every church and had prayed with fasting. They prayed with fasting, Paul and Barnabas. They were looking for those who would have been qualified to be spiritual leaders or pastors within that church. And in each church, they found a pastor or they found several who might qualify and then they ordained him. And it's interesting because the word ordained, literally, this word means to vote upon with the raised or stretched out hand. So what it's talking about is that Paul and Silas would pray. They fasted with the church and said, Lord, show us who the pastor ought to be in this church. And then from those that would have qualified, the church voted to call uh, that pastor and in every church where they went, as they went back to these different cities, they confirmed in each church leadership. First Peter chapter five, verses one to four, the Bible instructs the elders, which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. So elder and overseer are two Parts of the ministry of a pastor, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, same word that's used for pastor, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So it is right for us to have local churches that God has given pastors to the church, elders, who say, who else would be an elder at Marine? Well, Pastor Sweat was pastor here 
for 27 years. He is an elder. He is one called and ordained by God as a spiritual leader who was gifted as a pastor. We have Pastor Mike and Pastor Mike and Pastor Blake. All right. And there are others who have served um, in, in the ministry that would be considered elders. Now, the Bible doesn't say anything about appointing deacons here. They were not yet at this point. I don't believe the office of deacon was uh, yet in the works for them to establish in these churches. It had been in the church at Jerusalem, probably also in the church at Antioch. And that would come later for many of these churches. But remember that Paul and Silas could not stay very long in each church, but they stayed long enough to exhort and to encourage, to disciple, uh, to appoint spiritual leadership. Uh, helping the congregation, leading them through that, and then leaving them in good hands and moving on. But you know what? There's also another very important phrase. If you look with me in verse 23, the Bible says, they commended them to the Lord on whom they had believed. And that's another point. We should entrust our spiritual children to the Lord, for they are his children. The word, therefore, commended means to place at someone's side. So, Paul and Barnabas did not have that opportunity to continue at the church. God had other ministry for them to do, but they commended them. They literally said, Lord, we are putting this church beside you. We are entrusting them to your care. When we were in youth ministry in Pennsylvania, I can remember when God led us to go out to a ministry in Colorado. And yet God had done an amazing work in our youth group. And in our church, there was actually an amazing revival that broke out in our church in Pennsylvania. And it started with a youth group Easter weekend retreat. And it spread through the families of um, our teenagers and it spread to the entire church. And it was still going on when God called us away. And you know, my heart was torn because I had a passion for the ministry God was calling us to in Colorado, and I was reaching forward to that, but I didn't want to let go of the youth group in the church in Pennsylvania. But I knew that God was moving us, and you know this verse was a great comfort. Lord, I'm going to commend the, this youth group and these families and this church, this work of revival, because God, you know what? These aren't my kids. This is not my church. This is yours. You did the work. I was only the instrument. And now you're moving me on to serve in another place. Lord, I will willingly go, trusting that what you have begun, you will finish. And thank you for the privilege that I got to be a part of that. I look forward to what you have for me in the next place. And folks, that is the heart that we need to have because though those are there, we have disciples and people that we lead to the Lord and try to disciple, sometimes in life, God moves them away or God moves us away. For some reason, we're not able to continue that personal contact on a consistent basis. Now, as much as we can, and we have uh, with, with texting and everything and emails, we can do more of that. But the same personal week-in, week-out connection with that person is going to be sometimes distanced. But you know what? We can always entrust them ultimately and place them by Christ's side. We can commend them unto the Lord. And now look at verses 24 to 26. The Bible says, And after they passed through out of Pisidia, uh, they came to Pamphylia. And, and remember, these are regions. And when they came and preached the word in Perga, that's a city, they went down into Italia. Now, they did not, they went to Perga on their way up. But they did not preach the gospel there in Perga. Remember that? Okay. 
Uh, but now as they come back, they preach the word of God in Perga. But you know what? Luke doesn't record any results here. Now, he had recorded results in all the other cities, but he didn't record any results in Perga. Why? I don't know. The Spirit of God did not lead him to. But I think there is a point uh, that we can take from that, and that is this. Even though there are no results recorded here, God is always at work. God says, my word shall not return void. God did a work at Perga. We just don't know, according to Scripture, what that record was and what God did at that time. But God did a work there. They faithfully proclaimed the gospel as led by the Spirit of God. And folks, we ought to be encouraged that when God, by His Holy Spirit, leads us to serve, to share the gospel, to hand out a gospel tract, it doesn't matter if that person tears up the tract and throws it back in our face, cusses us out, slams a door in our face shrugs their shoulders and just puts it in their pocket and we have every indication they're probably just going to throw it in the first trash can they find. You know what? We don't know what God's doing in their heart. We plant the seed. We water the seed. God is the one who gives the increase. We share the gospel. We leave the results with God. Now that does not mean that we just share the gospel and never give an invitation to somebody. Hey, would you, wouldn't you like to trust Christ as your savior as we are led of the spirit of God and we can sense that the spirit of God is through evidence of the scriptures, convincing them of sin, righteousness, and judgment as we can see that they are beginning to understand the personal love of Christ for them in the way of salvation. And we can see their heart is tender and they, and they desire that forgiveness of sin and eternal life. We should say, wouldn't you right now like to call on Christ and place your faith in him, invite him to cleanse you from your sin and to be your personal savior, to give you the gift of everlasting life. We should do that. But folks, there are times we don't get that opportunity. Sometimes people interrupt us, cut us off, walk away. There are times we share the gospel and people nod their heads and they smile and they listen politely, but they're very noncommittal. But you know what? We can always take comfort in the fact that if God led us to do it, and as we're walking in the Spirit, and as we know we have been commissioned to proclaim the gospel, then we just leave the results with God. Don't be discouraged. Don't stop sharing the gospel. Keep praying, keep serving, keep showing an example of a Christian whose life is being transformed by the supernatural grace of God. Keep sharing the gospel with folks as you can. Build redemptive relationships. And as God gives you opportunity, keep sharing the gospel at appropriate times as you have that discernment by the Holy Spirit when to speak up for the sake of the gospel. But if you don't see results, even after years, don't give up. Don't give up hope and don't quit. Because you and I can't save anybody. We don't do the spiritual work. We are just the messenger. It is the Spirit of God through the Word of God. It is the Father drawing sinners to His Son. It is Christ who saves. So... We share the gospel and leave the results with God. Then look at verse 26. And thence sailed to Antioch. This is Antioch in Syria. Remember that at Jerusalem, they heard that there were believers from Cyprus that had gone over to Antioch in Syria and were beginning to evangelize and people were being saved. And they sent up Barnabas to check it out. Barnabas goes up there and he rejoices to see the grace of God. People are being saved. This is awesome. He begins to disciple them. He begins to equip them. He's continuing to proclaim the gospel. And there's so much work to be done in the third largest city in the Roman Empire. And God is doing such a work that he says, I got to leave the work. And I got to go find Paul. And bring him back because I need a partner in the ministry. 
And he brings Paul back. And Paul and Barnabas minister at the church in Antioch and Syria. And souls are being saved and disciples are being strengthened. And spiritual leadership is beginning to be put into place. And, and there's this, this church that literally becomes the, the hub of the, of the missionary effort of the spread of the gospel through the known world in that day. It came not from Jerusalem, but it came from Antioch and Syria. They're heading back to this home church where they had invested so much of their ministry. But you know what? It was the home church that had sent them out. Look at verse 26. And thus they sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. Remember the spirit of God said to the church in Antioch, separate me out, Paul and Barnabas. I've got a ministry for them. And Paul and Barnabas willingly went. But remember that the church commended them to the grace of God, prayed for them, sent them off, was supporting them through prayer. And now they come back. To report what God had done. Folks, it is a joy for us to send out missionaries. Some we've sent out from our church. Folks that were, that, that were here, that are now on mission fields. Some that are missionaries that said, we would like Berean to be our home church because they know we have a heart for missions and they have joined our membership. And, and we support them, not just financially, but with prayer, mission trips, and whatever we can do to help them evangelize that region of the world that God has given them that mission. But where are other missionaries that come in and they present their ministry, their, their ministry to us and God unites our heart with theirs. And we want to join with them in the ministry. And so uh, we take them on as missionaries and we support them through prayer and through giving. And as God gives us opportunities to go and serve with them on the field or they come back and they report reports uh, and we rejoice in what God is doing. And then when they come, we want to spoil them. We, we, we want to show them how much we love them. We want to encourage them. And so it is right and it is good for us to send out missionaries from our church. This is a pattern repeated throughout the New Testament and it sets a precedence for us to do the same. Whether we're sending someone out from our church or whether we support others with whom God has joined our hearts, we will support missionaries. And then look in verse 27. This is wonderful. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. We should testify to the working of God and give him the praise. Folks, it's encouraging. I had somebody come up this last week to me and say, Pastor Todd, I want to tell you about an opportunity I had to share the gospel with somebody. And they just tell me, they just told me the story. Man, that thrilled my heart. I'd love to hear more of that. And you know what? Uh, it will do you good to share that with somebody else. And it will encourage them. And maybe the Spirit of God will say, hey, what are you doing for the sake of the gospel? When's the last time you talked to somebody at the coffee shop or the grocery store or as your car was being inspected or whatever, or when you went for the doctor's visit? You know, listen, it, your testimony can spark encouragement and exhortation challenging other believers to be faithful to proclaim the gospel. Encourage them. Folks, let us not be weary in well-doing. In due season, we shall reap if we faint not. And we have that opportunity to share the gospel, to see somebody saved. We ought to give God the glory and the praise, but it is a wonderful encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ. This church at Syria, at Antioch in Syria, had prayed for these uh, Paul and Barnabas. They had sent them out, commending them to the Lord, praying for their work. I'm sure that their hearts were expectant. This was anywhere from a year to three years. I tend to believe it was on at least a th the three-year side of the trip. From when they left to when they returned was about three years. And I'm sure that that church in Antioch, when they saw Paul and Barnabas, they were so excited. And when Paul and Barnabas said, hey, everybody, come together. we got to tell you what God's been doing. 
They rejoiced to hear the work that God had done. They recounted all that God had done protecting them. Imagine for the first time hearing the story of Paul being stoned at Lystra. And hearing how God miraculously raised him up. Imagine hearing exactly from the lips of Paul what he had experienced. And what God did in his heart that moved him to get back up and walk right back into the city of Lystra. And then the next day, and how God led them on to Derby and what God did there. And as they're going back through all the churches, folks, when they went back to all these other churches at Iconium and Antioch and Pisidia, and Lystra, remember that they were going back into the danger zone. This is where they'd been opposed, where people had plots against their life. And yet God had done a great work and many Jews and Gentiles had believed and churches were established and they went back to confirm, to strengthen the churches, to encourage them, to exhort and challenge them and to remind them, hey folks, uh, we are going to, as we walk through this temporal life, this life is not the end of the journey. Folks, for the Christian, the point of this life is not this life. It is not to enjoy this life. It is not to check off everything on your bucket list. It is not to see how much you can accumulate and experience or how many people you can impress or how much prestige you can earn. This life is about eternity for the Christian. And we are to be investing our lives for eternity. And just imagine the joy of those that heard this testimony of those who've been saved, how God protected them, how God worked, how God provided for them along the way. The opportunities that they had, the power of God as it was displayed. People that were being saved, believers that were, being, that were growing in Christ, churches that were being established, leadership that was being put in place, how the gospel was being spread throughout the world and especially it was being well received by the Gentiles. This door, God just burst wide open. This gate was wide open. For the gospel, hey, listen, Paul and Barnabas are saying, you know what God did here at Antioch? This is one of the first places where many Gentiles turned to Christ and believed. You are not an exception. This was not a rare case. This is what God is doing. They rejoiced. And then we should stay where God has placed us until he clearly indicates our next move. Look at verse 28. And there they abode long time with the disciples. Hey, folks, there was plenty of spiritual work to be done in the third largest city in the Roman Empire. There was a church there that over these past three years had grown. There were needs, there were new disciples, there were, there were disciples that had matured and yet they needed further equipping to continue to minister. Uh, there was just more to be done and they were content to fellowship and to serve alongside and to do ministry uh, with the church there at Antioch. And this was their home church, their heart was there. They enjoyed being with these dear people and they stayed there until God says, all right, I'm ready to send you out again. And folks, listen, until God clearly moves you from a ministry like Berean, don't just leave. Make sure that God is clearly moving you somewhere else. And if he is, then that's his business. But in the meantime, while you're here, serve God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love him with all your heart, soul, and mind. Be busy about his work and be content. Maybe some of you are starting to sense a stirring that maybe God might be calling you to another ministry or to a mission field. We have somebody in our church right now that is overseas 
looking and discerning what may be God's will for their life in the future. And it might include missions. And I am excited about that possibility. But until God clearly leads, God wants us to faithfully serve where we are. God doesn't want us to just say, well, I'm just going to sit here, twiddle my thumbs, bide my time and wait till God moves me. Because you know what will happen? You get to the next place where God moved you. And guess what you're going to do? You're going to sit there and twiddle your thumbs for a while and just procrastinate. But folks, if you're serving God now, and that is the lifestyle and discipline of your life now, you will continue in that discipline in serving him in other places. And if you are not content here where God has placed you for now until God clearly moves you away, you will be content, discontent somewhere else. So learn godly contentment, wait for God's timing, and in the meantime, enjoy serving God right where he has planted you. God's given us a lot of work to do here. We're looking forward in just a few minutes after we dismiss to getting things ready around here for our fall festival. The reason we do the fall festival is not to just let people know that we're in the community, although maybe more people will learn about our ministry. But the idea is that we want those that are around us to know that we're flesh and blood like them, that we care about them we want to spend time with them and as they come we're going to put some gospel literature into their hands uh, where there's going to be a short gospel message this afternoon because this is what we're about we're about the great commission and it starts with proclaiming the gospel we're going to share the gospel we're going to maybe meet some brothers and sisters in christ who don't have a church home and maybe the spirit of god has been working and tugging at their heart Hey, listen, they've been disobeying the scriptures. The Bible says in Hebrews 10, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. How can you exhort your brethren? How can you serve your brethren if you're not part of a local church on a consistent basis? And so maybe some of them are looking for a church home. They need our encouragement. They need our love. They need our support. They need to be in Sunday school where they can hear sound teaching from the word of God. Uh, they need to be encouraged. They need to be helped. They need to be equipped. They need a place to belong. And we, by God's grace, may be that very church home that they need. But whether we see results or not, folks, we are going to witness the gospel and leave the results to him. We're going to love people with the love of Christ. We're going to share the truth with people. And we are going to then commend the results to God to do as he pleases. And we are going to do our best. And we are going to enjoy ourselves. We're going to enjoy the fellowship of serving with one another and serving our community as they would come on our church campus today. And I trust that we will sometime in the not too distant future be able during a testimony time to say something like this. Hey, do you remember the fall festival? I was doing trunk or treat or I was face painting, or um, I was doing the pumpkin drawing thing, the little craft, or I was helping kids roast marshmallows to make s'mores, or, or they were riding on the wagon, and we got into a little bit of a gospel conversation. We got to know somebody, and, and we were able to follow up with them. And you know what? Just this last week, they trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior. Isn't that great how God used that? I trust we'll be able to share those kind of testimonies. Hey, do you know for sure where you would spend eternity if you were to die today? If you don't know, I'm going to invite you after our service is dismissed. While there may be a lot of busyness going on around us, come back to the connection point. It's a nice, quiet room. And you can come back and see me. My wife will be there if you're a lady. 
You say, you know what, I'm just not sure that my eternity is settled. I'm not sure I have eternal life. I'd like to settle that. We'll sit down with the Word of God, show you the way of salvation. It won't take long. We'll answer any questions you have from the Word of God. And you can choose to put your faith in Jesus Christ and settle your eternal destiny today. You can receive God's forgiveness of sin and the gift of everlasting life. My brothers and sisters in Christ, are you actively discipling somebody? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Does it thrill your heart when you hear of people that trust Christ as their Savior? And are you content to serve God where you are, within the circumstances God has placed you, to the best of your ability, with a joyful spirit? And if not, would you ask the Holy Spirit of God, why not? And would you just... In a moment, when we have our pianist play a hymn of invitation, our heads will be bowed, we'll just remain seated. And as the music plays, would you just say something like this, Lord, if there's something in my life that's not right with you, reveal it to me and I'll confess it. Specifically, I'll make it right with you. And then if, after listening to that, you either respond to that or the Lord shows you your conscience is clear before him, then to say, Lord, I want to again dedicate myself and make myself an available tool for you to pick up and use, an available vessel for you to pick up and pour out your gospel into the lives of others. Lord, I want to rejoice in this life because I'm investing in eternity. And Lord, I want to serve you. And I want to serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I want to reach the lost. And I want to disciple somebody. And I want to grow as I see them grow. Whatever else the Lord may be doing in your heart this morning. Maybe for some of you, as I was speaking earlier about being baptized, maybe if some of you said, I've trusted Jesus as my Savior. I know I have eternal life, but I have not declared myself his disciple, and I'm not taking that step of obedience by following him in believer's baptism. He's <coughs> God spoken to your heart about that today. Let's commit that to him in prayer, and then come and see me and let me know. And we will set up a date for a baptismal service, and we explain baptism to you very clearly, answer any questions you have, and then we'll have a baptismal service. And we would rejoice to be able to do that as well. Whatever you need today spiritually, please come and see me or my wife. We'd be glad to help you. There are other pastors that'll be around, other people here that can also help you with your spiritual needs. Just find out, find somebody that you know can help you and seek out that help. But right now, let's bow our heads and our hearts before the Lord. I'll pray, and when I finish praying, our pianist will begin to play just a stanza of a hymn while we spend just a little bit of time before the Lord responding to the working of His Spirit in our hearts this morning. Father, may we walk in the Spirit that we may be led of the Spirit. May we be filled of the Spirit so that we may have the boldness and the wisdom of the Spirit to proclaim the gospel which is in your word, the Scriptures. And help us, Lord, not merely or only to share the gospel, but as you give us opportunity to disciple those babes in Christ. We expect, Lord, tribulation. And there may be some here today that are really struggling. And Lord, for those who are, those who are facing persecution and difficulties, we remember the words of, of the scripture where Paul writes, empowered and inspired by your Holy Spirit, I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are nothing compared to the glory that shall be revealed. Give, Lord, that hope to our brothers and sisters in Christ who are struggling through trials and tribulations, some who are being persecuted for their testimony and their witness. 
And Lord, strengthen them today. Encourage them. Confirm their faith. And equip them to serve you. For those who have not yet put their faith in you, Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that you would draw to your son, the Lord Jesus, these precious souls. I pray that the Holy Spirit would convince of sin, righteousness of judgment, that you, God, would illumine the understanding in the soul of those who have not yet believed. So that the glorious light and love of Christ, the truth of the way of salvation, would be made very clear to them. And that they would understand your personal love and respond to that by faith. And so, Lord, would you be honored now with our hearts and heads bowed before you, with our response. May the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be pleasing and acceptable to you this time and always, but especially now as we worship you through our response in Jesus' name.